Funny Books with Aaron and Polyon. I'm Aaron. I'm Polyon. This is Wayne. This is Jonathan. And uh, Paul's out this week, so uh, we had to find somebody who had a name kind of like Paul's. And fortunately, here's a Polyon. You know, Jonathan, I think I feel slighted. How many times have we been audited? Here he shows up once and he's in the, in the title. You know, if you guys were willing to change your name. If you guys had superhero names like I did, you would be in the title. <laughs> you know, I, I thought this was really my chance for Welcome to Funny Books with Aaron and Johnny. But... <laughs> well, sorry, guys. You know, it was the, it, we're, we're looking for a certain, you know, type of rhythm. And Apollyon had it. Sorry. There you go. You need stroke. <laughs> so, uh, Apollyon, that, that's your forum name over on the Spooky Outhouse boards. Yes, and I've been on Kicked in the Dice Bags with Chris and Jonathan as well. Very good. And your actual name is Tim? Yes. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hello. Just so that we can establish your comic book street cred, tell us uh, what your background is. When did you get into comics? Um, I've been into comics since I was about eight years old. Um, started off with X-Men and Marvel and slowly morphed into other titles. We'll let you stay then. Good. This week felt so long that I don't really even remember other than Fear the Con stuff. How's that coming? How's your planning coming for that? It's going good. We're starting to get some price support in. We're really starting to look forward to it. And then uh, as last night, I was recording with Jonathan over on Kicking the Dice Bags. Oh, yeah, very good. Look at that synergy. Yeah, that's the reason why I slept in today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been sick all week. I uh, was running the fever from Tuesday up through last night, and I haven't run fever yet today, but, you know, the day is young. But the nice thing about running a fever is that, you know, it gives you some funky dreams. And I had dreams this week that involved uh, fried chicken, smoking cigarettes, which I don't do, Rhoda Morgenstern, you know, from the old Rhoda and Mary Tyler Moore series, and my favorite, Naked Eliza Dushku. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say your favorite me in a dress. <laughs> well, that is a close favorite. <laughs> wow. Two out of four ain't bad there. I, I, maybe I want a fever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the weird thing about the naked Eliza Dushku is that there was this dinner party that we were having, and Eliza Dushku just shows up naked. I, I'm looking around the room, and nobody else seems to be having a problem with it. And I'm like, well, if they're not complaining, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had Eliza Dushku over for dinner, naked, in my dreams. You know, fever not so bad. I'm jealous. So, you know, there was a, a little uh, comic news this week. And I think one of my favorite bits of news was... Uh, Marvel's notice to uh, retailers that they could trade in some unsold DC comics for Siege number three. I got such a huge kick out of that. That was, I found it hilarious that they actually, you know, had the balls to go out and make that deal. Yeah, you know, it, it said, uh, I was I'm looking here at the, the news article about it. It says, you know, in an effort to provide assistance to comic retailers in 2010, Marvel is offering retailers an opportunity to turn unsold comics into an extremely rare Siege number 3 Deadpool variant. And so they're telling retailers to strip the covers, and the books that they're offering are Adventure Comics number 4, Booster Gold number 26, Doom Patrol number 4, Justice League of America number 39, Outsiders number 24, and Rebels number 10. And I can tell you that, uh, how many books are there? Six books. Four of those books I bought and sucked. <laughs> those yeah, books were terrible. All of the retailers were stuck buying quite a few copies of books like Rebels and uh, Doom Patrol just to get the rings. Yeah. No one wanted to read those titles. They just wanted the rings. Yeah. 
and they were we, bad. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised by uh, this announcement as it, it's not a new concept. Uh, you know, some of our uh, role playing listeners might have uh, re- might remember when Fourth Edition was about to come out. Uh, White Wolf made an announcement that if you send them your uh, 3.5 players' handbooks, they'll send you a copy of the new edition of Exalted. Yeah, and exactly, and that's what this this sounds very reminiscent of that. Isn't reading Doom Patrol a misdemeanor in Texas? <laughs> <laughs> if well, it's not, it should be. Well, it's actually the punishment for uh, for capital offenses. Oh, uh, they they distribute those on death row. Because well, that'll work. Bad. Bad. Cheaper than euthanasia. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I think it's kind of a douchebag move, but uh, man, it, it it's it's hysterical, and I'm I'm kind of waiting to see what DC does in response because you know they have to answer that they've got to attack Marvel somewhere, but Marvel's not nearly as vulnerable as DC is on this kind of subject. Now, did anyone talk to their uh, comic book guy about uh, the announcement? No, I didn't see it till uh, after I went to the comic book shop this week. Did you guys? Yeah, no, same thing. I didn't see it till afterwards either. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I, I actually, uh, when I went in and bought my comics, that was uh, Thursday. So I uh, I did talk to my uh, comic guy about it, and uh, he was very opposed to the idea. Oh, really? What did he say? Well, A, it would be a bad decision for him because uh, his shop isn't really... Uh, variants don't sell there. Yeah. So... Like he can't do the big markups that most most people do uh, with variants because there's not really a market for it mm-hmm. uh, in this area. As people are just like, we just want to read the stories. We don't care about the variant covers. Right. Um. And B, he hates like he hates the thought of uh, destroying books. So stripping stripping covers off of books is not something that appeals to him. Yeah. You know what would be sad if these books, if this actually a lot of people did this and there was massive destruction of these books and 20 years from now they become books that are incredibly valuable because of how rare they are. <laughs> and they're only rare because they're bad. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm torn on this, you know, because I think it's I, I do think it's kind of a dick move on Marvel's part, but uh, I, it's kind of savvy and, you know, it does – I know that both Joe Quesada and Dan DiDio are, are both invested in keeping an adversarial relationship between uh, Marvel and DC because it's just good for business. You know, uh, they – I've, I've heard both of them talk about how they didn't think that all the crossovers that they used to have between Marvel and DC in the 90s, that they, they both think that that was bad for business, you know, that you need to build your very loyal camps. So I uh, I don't know I don't know what I think about this I hate the idea of destroying a book to send it in but if you're going to destroy a book these are the books to destroy I have no problem with it considering I have to, I would need to find something to do with my comic books anyway now yeah. well you were going to give them to dead kids <laughs> oh yeah that's right <laughs> still working on still working on that yeah well I guess we probably ought to talk about uh, the comics that we read this week and I don't know about you guys but man this was a light week yeah I don't remember the last time I had this few of books. Yeah, I mean, I actually wound up buying some stuff that I didn't pick up in previous weeks. Like, I, I read my first issue of uh, Avengers Initiative in a good long while. It was the one that uh, Wayne talked about last week with, uh, you know, the Taskmaster getting shot by Dr. Doom and uh, feeling like he probably ought not to be taking this job but not having a whole lot of choice. And Wayne, I rather like that book. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, I really I, – like, so I like the whole title because I like the writing, but that particular book was really good. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't have anything in my pull box, but the need to spend money uh, <laughs> overwhelmed me. Yeah, that, that'll get you, won't it? You know, it's when you look down, you go, well, I've only got like $10 worth of books here. I, I could spend another $20 in here easy. This was, I, I spent Aaron and, Aaron and Polly money this, this, this week. This is the, the cheapest week for me, comic book-wise, since I started reading. I only spent uh, 15 bucks. Well, uh, we have a Blackest Night update uh, from a book that I think came out last week uh, that we didn't talk about. Uh, Teen Titans number 78. Yep. Um, yeah, this did come out last week, and um, I know I've been tormenting Aaron about getting Teen Titans in on this program, so I'm very happy to talk about this because um, <laughs> uh, this is one of my, one of my favorite books. I I like the Teen Titans basically because I like the storyline involving young heroes, and the art the art on this one is by Joe Bennett, and it's a um, it's a, it's the second of the Blackest Night updates in Teen Titans, and the last two books have revolved around um, the villain Deathstroke and his family, which is kind of a messed up family, and the only actual Teen Titan in the book is his daughter Rose, which is the new Ravager. Yeah, I like Rose. Is yeah. she back on the team now? Um, not officially. She's one of those unofficial official members. So she was the second feature when they were, um, focusing on the Teen Titans before the Blackest Night update. So I would consider her a member. Um, but yeah, I like this book. I didn't know the history behind this family. So it was pretty interesting to have it brought up, uh, a la zombie. Teen Titans is an interesting book for me because for a while there, I thought it was one of the best books DC was putting out. That was before the one more year jump. Okay. Or the, basically that one year jump they did. And when they came back after the one year jump with the whole new team, it was on shaky ground then. It was, uh, I thought it was shaky for a little while. And then right around the time when they were doing the, uh, preparing for Final Crisis, that's when I finally dropped the book after they finished the, uh, the first Terror Titan story. And I think the the period that you're talking about, is is that the Jeff Johns run that you liked? That sounds right. Because I, I did too, and I have the I have those books in trade. And it was it, I think it's it's exactly what you're talking about. It's during that one year later piece that I really fell out of love with that book. And I you know, I've got I've picked up a copy every now and again and I was like, nope, I still don't care for it. And but I haven't read it in probably twelve issues. I dropped it when Tim left. Yeah, it it was kind of shaky when once they lost Robin, but mm-hmm. um, like I said, art's kind of a big deal for me. So the art stayed consistently solid, better than any of the other books I pick up. So that kind of keeps me on board. And like I said, I always like the the younger hero kind of a caveat. And there's a lot of people that die in the Teen Titans, which just kind of keeps me interested because you never know when somebody's gonna leave. Of course, they come back, but. <laughs> <laughs> It's comic books at this point. Everyone comes back. That's right. So, so yeah, I enjoyed this book. You know, speaking of uh, Teen Titans and and all the comics news out this week, did you guys hear that they're doing a Teen Titans? They're calling it Teen Titans Game. It's coming out this year by Mark Wolfman and George Perez. Yeah, and it's coming out as like a big trade paperback, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think this is, if I understood correctly, this is something they had been working on, stopped working on, and have started working on again. If I understood yeah. that correctly. Yeah, they said it's pretty much twenty-five by uh, twenty-five years worth of stories back and forth that they've been talking about yeah. that they're finally putting together into one, you know, one big trade paperback. I'm excited about it because I love some of their runs on the series way back. Judas Contract is still one of my favorite Teen Titans stories. Yeah. 
Well, and if you listen to uh, our interview with Marv Wolfman uh, several weeks back, you could have heard me gush <laughs> nonstop <laughs> about how much I enjoyed their run on Teen Titans because uh, Marv Wolfman and George Perez, I mean, those guys rock it when they work together. Is that enough Teen Titans love for you, Polyon? Uh, that was pretty good, yeah. We did it for you? Okay. Yeah. All good. Right. No, we don't have to talk about it again for a while. Ever again. <laughs> <laughs> this topic is closed. There was one kind of Siege-related book out this week, and that was Invincible Iron Man number 22. Because uh, Jonathan has been so positive about this book for, for several episodes, I went ahead and picked it up this week. This was my first time back in an Iron Man title since before since before Secret Invasion, I guess. And I rather liked this. I thought this was an awfully nice book. Um, particularly enjoyed the cover. Um, I thought the, the the cover was appropriately designed for for the book, uh, for the character, and the style of a story that it's told. I really liked it. What'd you get? Now, which uh, which cover did you get? I got the non variant cover. Oh, okay. With the I got uh, the variant. Now I, I assume it's the non variant cover. It's the one that has you know kind of a profile of Iron Man with the the hard drive X ray looking thing in his head, kind of a purple background. Okay, yeah, uh, that's not the one I got. Okay, I got the. I got the cover with uh, Doctor Strange like hovering over the the tombstone of Iron Man, and he's holding the Iron Man helmet in his hand. Mm. Yeah, it's the one I got too. No, I didn't get that one. But no, I, I like the cover. I, I thought it was pretty sweet. So, what'd you guys think? Oh boy, you probably shouldn't start with me. Um, no, Jonathan, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jonathan knows. We well, let's put it this way: I I haven't read an Iron Man book since the eighties. Let's just say that I followed up with him in Avengers somewhat. And I've been on a big Iron Man. Um, I have an Iron Man rant that I'm not going to repeat here. Okay. Um, that involves me being annoyed at him. But um, I have really mixed feelings about this book. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I'm not sure. It's not the art so much as the, I guess, the spacing. There's just a lot of empty space in these books, in, in this one in particular, I guess. And, um. I don't know. It's kind of, to me, I'm going to equate it to somebody I know. It's kind of like picking up a Superman book and reading about Jimmy Olsen for 20 pages. You know, that's kind of how I felt. Um, there is some good writing in it, though. I did like the writing. Um, and I'm a big fan of Doctor Strange. So when he showed up in the last four pages, it kind of saved my opinion of this book. And those pages with Doctor Strange are awfully pretty, I thought. Yeah. And the and the writing in in those pages are just is just awesome. So mm -hmm. it kind of went from a, a solid D minus up to about a C. So I think that had I jumped in when Tony Stark wasn't a, a vegetable, I might actually <laughs> have enjoyed this book a little more. Yeah. So I'd be willing to give it another chance and throw another three dollars down the down the well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I was surprised that that Aaron enjoyed this book because uh, my. When he said it was the first one he had picked up, I was like, "Ooh, what a poor jumping on point." Oh, and I will agree with you on that. But uh, you know, the uh, you know, you do have the summary page that Marvel does, and you know, I, I knew what was going on based on what I'd seen in in Siege. I agree, it's not the best place to jump on, but I still dug it. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Well, if if you were able to see the uh, uh, whole er everything that led up to this point with with Iron Man pretty much turning himself into a vegetable. Mm -hmm. uh that's really where the the impact of of 
these last few issues with him being comatose comes in. Yeah, the main character of the book is is sort of down and out, but up until that point, it had been almost all him. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. it. The art was good. You know, uh, I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, the characters in this book because after Civil War, there's you kind of wonder what happened to, to certain people. Maria Hill being one of those people. Uh, well, she's been over in the pages of Invincible Iron Man. I don't, I don't think any other book I've read in Marvel has she been a character in. Right. So, you know, I have a prediction for Siege. We've talked about how uh, with all the Moon Knight tie-ins and all the Punisher tie-ins, Moon Knight's not going to take out Norman Osborn. Punisher's not going to take out Norman Osborn. My prediction is that uh, when Tony wakes up, gets back in the, the Iron Man armor, we're going to have an Iron Man versus Iron Patriot fight, and that Tony is going to be the one that actually finally takes down Osborn to bring back the heroic age. That's my overall prediction for Siege. Well, you heard it here first. That's a good prediction. It would be the yeah. ultimate redemption after what they basically after what they did to the character during Civil War, and all the uh, basically all the hate that Iron Man's had from a lot of fans since Civil War. To have him be the one that comes up and ends Siege, I think would be. They com- it would complete this arc of redemption that they put him in. That very well might take him out of my D-bag list. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> like uh, Paul has said on this show, uh, you know, he, he went back and picked up the trades of uh, Invincible Iron Man. And it, this really has been a book of redemption. So I think for it to culminate into that would be fantastic. All I could say about... Uh, about Invincible Iron Man 22 is, remember, this isn't a ceremony. It's a medical procedure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 617. Yeah, I guess I was the only one who read this issue. No one else stuck around for the gauntlet, huh? Nope. <laughs> I really I really like the cover, but after hearing the horror stories of the last couple, I'm like, well, maybe I'll wait until Funny Books tells us how good it is. Uh, well, you know, I, I stuck I stuck around, and I would say out of all the Gauntlet issues, this one has been the best. What I thought was interesting was uh, that the other, with uh, Electro and Sandman, those were uh, two-issue arcs. This is a single issue for Rhino. It's a single issue that is very well done. I thought that the art has improved since, since uh, you know, the Electro and Sandman arcs. That was my first uh, question, because that's what drove me away. One of the main things that drove me away was the art, the earlier art. No, the, 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 art's, the art's really good in this book. It, I believe it's a different person doing the art. And it, uh, you know, one, one thing I can say about the gauntlet, for as much, for as much crap as, as we've given it so far, is that I remember uh, with the Blackest Night tie-ins, one big complaint that Aaron and Polly had was that, you know, it was all the same formula. Like all these tie-ins have the same, the same formula for their for their story arc. I can't say that about the Gauntlet. Every every story that they've told uh, in this has been has been very different from from the others. This one included. You know, you know that all of Spider-Man's villains are going to get this power up and things like that. But uh, for the Rhino, it's very different. You find out what he's been doing since Civil War. Uh, apparently, when the when the Civil War was about to get started, he turned himself in, you know, served time in prison, and has been on the path of the straight and narrow. And you find that 
uh, the the premise of the book is that there's a there's another rhino that is trying to kill the old rhino to I, he calls it ascend. I mean, I'm gonna say the book actually has a happy ending. I wonder if the other rhino is the one we saw over in Punisher, because Punisher had a rhino that was a different rhino for a while too. Maybe I didn't read that. So Amazing Spider-Man six one seven, not as bad as as recent Amazing. <laughs> So, uh, Booster Gold, number 28. I still love the title. Yeah, I do too. I love, one of the things I like about the title that we haven't seen in the last arc or two is I love that the title plays in and out of old DC continuity. Yeah. And that's what this one was. It's, they're playing into the death of Superman now. And, you know, the origin of Cyborg Superman's, you know, he's now integrated himself into that origin and, dealing with Coast City and things like that. and So this is the kind of book I like in there because I love continuity. I love the continuing stories. And just where he's poking in and out of it without actually breaking continuity, that's a fun story for me. Yeah. Well, and, the, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of guilt here because, <laughs> you know, the way they're framing this up is, you know, he uh, Booster Gold has to, you know, intervene to make sure that Hank Henshaw does become, you know, the cyborg. And, and of course, you know, Hank Henshaw becomes responsible for the destruction of Coast City, you know, the, uh, with what, six million lives, I think they tell us that that wind up dying. And of course, Booster Gold's sister is trapped in the past in Coast City prior to its destruction you know it should have, you know we know that his sister was already supposed to be dead you know and got yanked out of the time stream earlier on so you know it looks a whole lot like maybe his sister's gonna die here and won't that be a guilt complex for booster gold you know it was kind of funny when i was reading it i saw the uh the guy walking around with the coast city is doom sign yeah basically the the hobo on the street with the uh, the, the doom sign yeah and i kept wondering the whole time is that rip hunter oh you see i kept thinking is that rorschach <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, the uh, the Coast City is doomed guy. And, you know, the, she follows him into the alley and finds the cyborg Superman instead. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the rest of the story. They say, I love when they do this, play in and out of continuity like that. That is a lot of fun. Now, uh, what did you think of the Blue Beetle uh, second feature? I didn't read it. I haven't liked the, I don't like that Blue Beetle. Oh, you I don't. never have got into the character. Oh, so I I've like read, that, I've yeah. read some of their back, their second features. I just, I keep giving it more and more chances. And it's just I don't like that type of Blue Beetle. So this time I didn't even bother reading it. Well, I really dig uh, Jaime Reyes, and uh, I liked the story in, in the backup. The uh, it's kind of bring him back to his origins and explaining, you know, what's up with uh, the Scarab and what what the Scarab's mission is. So yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I liked it. So Booster Gold number twenty eight, liked it a lot. There you go. So we had a couple. We had a, what two Bat Batman books this week? We had uh, Batgirl number six. I got that one. And uh, uh, what you, you think of that? Title is still on shaky ground. This issue is better than some of the previous ones. Um, I actually didn't hate Damien as much in this issue, which is saying a lot considering how much I absolutely hate that character. <laughs> There's a great conversation that Stephanie has with him, where she finally manages to get under his skin and. You know, you see this, you know, things that actually bother him. But there's also an awkward conversation between Oracle and Batman when they compare Stephanie and Damien to themselves and they realize just how creepy and awkward that is. Yeah. But overall, I'm basically at this point in the title waiting for the crossover with Red Robin to see what happens. Because the this was a better issue than some of the previous ones, but the title's still on shaky ground. And as much as I like the character, I hate that it's on such shaky ground with me. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I think I saw the cover, and the cover had uh, Red Robin and Batgirl, you know, getting ready to fight with the, you know, shadow, I, I guess, of Batman looking over them. Does that was, scene occur in the book? It was regular Robin, not Red Robin. Oh, but okay. yeah, that, that scene actually is in the book. Okay. They, they bicker and they fight constantly throughout the book. And they really are having a physical confrontation when Batman comes back. And does he have to like put the smack down and you know knock anybody around? Yeah, basically he's like the father, and these are the annoying children that are in the back seat saying, "Are we there yet?" kind of thing. Yikes! So when does Red Robin show up in the book? Um, not next issue, but the issue after that's when the crossover is supposed to start. I see. So one more issue should be only one more issue, and then the crossover. I see. I see. And then the uh, the other Bat book we had this week was Batman number six ninety five, which Tim read. And I I have been dying for some Batman. Um, I I dropped Detective uh, earlier last year. You didn't like the Batwoman story? Not at all. I gave it I gave it two I gave it two or three issues, and I had to drop it. So I've had no Batman. And I saw the I saw the cover of Batgirl, and that looked interesting, but. Then I saw Batman six ninety five, and it just looked it looked too pretty to pass up. So um, let me see here. Uh, it it's kind of I'm kind of in the middle of a storyline, and you know obviously you're you're dealing with the Dick Grayson Batman, so you know there's some flaws there. But anytime I see a guy with a scythe on the cover, I'm I'm down. And so uh, reading this, uh, it looks like there's a lot of. Um, kind of Dick Grayson trying to prove he's Batman going on a little bit. Uh, there's a cameo by Dr. Arkham, is it? Um, and there's a storyline involving um, the Falcone family, which, I, like I said, I haven't been following it. This is the first time I've picked Batman up. But um, overall, it was interesting. Um, it, they kind of crammed a lot of people into one book because there's an appearance by Huntress. There's an appearance by Catwoman. There's Batman, there's Dr. Arkham, and there's this new guy, which they basically call the Reaper, which is, you know, even Batman says that's real original. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I liked it. I, um, like I said, I've been jonesing for some Batman, and uh, I think this one just gave me another reason to give it one more issue. You know, I have no problem at all with the uh, Dick Grayson Batman. What's driven me away from the books is I really hate Damien. Yeah. I don't know why that character grates on me so much, but I really dislike him. If they had a poll to vote, I would vote multiple times to have him get beaten with a crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> and well, then blown up. Yeah, he yeah. Wasn't, wasn't in this issue, and I totally agree. And I think part of my reason for not liking that character is I like Tim Drake so much better than any other Robin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that, I think, you know, I can't stand whiny Damien. And I mean, so, so there's that, but I so much prefer Tim Drake. I mean, I really dig that character. And I know I've, I know I've talked about this before, but I, I, I just, I need him be, to be Robin again. You know? Yeah. That's, that's why I was so happy to see the title, the red Robin title start to turn around yeah. with the last issue or so where we actually get to see Tim acting like Tim again, yeah. not, you know, insane whiny guy who's making a bunch of mistakes. Exactly. Exactly. Just real quickly, I wanted to touch on this. I had asked for uh, Batman the Dark Knight Returns trade paperback for Christmas, and nobody got it for me. So I got it for myself. And uh, 
Um, I was told that this was um, another one along the lines of Watchmen, where it's kind of an innovative book. And just real quickly, I wanted to touch on the, the if nobody has read this book, the writing is definitely worth worth getting the book. It's a very interesting story about how you would take Batman beyond beating up villains in Gotham City. And basically his, his retirement plan was basically the book. Um, I would say, though, that I, maybe it's because of the hype, but the trade paperback doesn't I, – I, it didn't really live up to the hype for me as far as that goes. Like I was looking for something ridiculously innovative, and it was innovative, but I don't know. Maybe it was just the art style that drew me to the point where I didn't like it. So, Oh, you didn't care um, for the art? I didn't care for the art at all. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just maybe my style. I like it a lot cleaner looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you know, and I, com- style. I completely agree with you. That was one of the things about, uh, about the title that I never liked. I hated the art on it. It's just not my style at all. I like the cleaner look too to my art. Yeah, so I completely it- agree with you there. See, and I, I completely disagree with both of you. I loved the art in that book. Uh, I, I, I loved how stylized it was, but you know, it is such a product of the time. Would that book come out in 1985, 1986? Um, it, it was, it was the book that really pushed everything over the edge as far as, you know, dark and gritty. I, I really dug that book. I dug, it's my preferred Batman. You know, the, the old, the aging, uh, Batman who's just kind of, you know, just as cynical as he can be, um, who gets a kick out of putting the hurt on people. Oh, don't get, don't get me wrong. I love, I love the story. Yeah. But the art was enough to be distracting and that kind of brought now, it down. Now, I'm going to do you a favor. Are you ready? Okay. Do not, do not pick up the sequel, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, because it is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. It's everything I hate about Frank Miller. I'll second and, that. Yeah, I know I've got I've got seventy dollars worth of Ultimate Invincible to clean out, so that'll be next. <laughs> yeah, so stay away from that. You, you may feel weak at a, at a given moment and decide to pick it up. Don't. Yeah, if you've got the big Invincible to go, I think you'll really enjoy that. I mean, yeah, yeah, because I, I I I was very excited for the Dark Knight Strikes again when it first came out, and was grossly disappointed in that book. Well, um, so you you liked the writing on the book, but you didn't care for the artwork. Yeah. Is that your, is so, that, so at the end of it, when you're rating it, you know, is it something that you'd recommend to other people or was the artwork enough to, that you'd recommend that they stay away? No, I would say if they liked Watchmen, they would definitely like this book. So I'd, I'd give it a solid B. Very good. Despite the art, which is strange for me. The art really bothered me on it, but I know that's the art style a lot of people like. So I would take that into account if I were going to recommend it to someone. Mm-hmm. If they like the crisper, cleaner art, then I might not recommend it. But if they like the more stylized art, then I definitely would. The story is a solid story. The writing is good. I like the dialogue. So, I mean, if I were rating it, I'd give it A minus, B plus to an A minus, because like I said, I didn't care for the art. Yeah. But I can get past that rating. I would give it, uh, I love the art and I love the writing. I would give it about an A minus, uh, simply for the fact that Frank Miller lets a lot of his own uh, political values come through in that book. That irritates me a little bit, even though I share most of his political views. Uh, I, I didn't care for how heavy handed he was in some of it. Uh, That's actually a pet peeve of mine is anytime that politics are added into comic books. Yeah, I have no problem having a politics conversation. I don't want it in my entertainment. Though. Well, and I would prefer I don't have a problem with with politics and comics. Make them fictional politics. Yeah. 
That's you what know, I mean. I don't like real politics. Yeah. His his commentary on the Reagan administration just I, I felt like it was inappropriate, you know, in the book. And, uh, you know, I, I I know that a lot of people find that to be uh, one of the the hallmarks of that title is how timely it was. But I, I think the book would have been stronger without it. But that's just me. You know, uh, I've only seen that done poorly where it frustrated me. And that was with the ultimates. It, when the Ultimates uh, first launched, you know they would they would bash on the Bush administration quite a bit, especially Thor, and I enjoyed that. But now uh, with the with the relaunch of of Ultimates, now it's like all of the Ultimates are hardcore right wing conservatives. And I'm like, where was the, where was the switch there? Yeah, yeah. The thing that bothered me most is there was an issue of uh, JLA where when Luther was still president and. Superman basically is putting himself into some sort of... They have a machine during a couple issues of JLA at that point where they put themselves in it, and it... I don't know exactly what the point of it is, but he's basically, like, asleep and he's dreaming this whole thing. And the whole story is that uh, Luther wants to invade a tiny little country, and Superman wants to support him because he's an all-American, but he doesn't see the reason for going to war, and he's begging with the president, you know, don't invade this country, and it's like... Uh... I remember really? that machine, though. Kind of, I remember that. I remember that. Like that's really kind of uh, kind of ham-fisted into this one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a tight balance that comic books walk. You know, because you know the DC universe doesn't occur in our universe. You know, they they don't have the same president we have. Whereas in the Marvel universe, they always have the same president we have. And on the one hand, you know. Marvel tends to to run run a little too political sometimes in the inclusion of the actual president and things like that, and certainly during the the uh, previous administration got a little more uh, political than than I was really comfortable with in my comic books, and then you know but on the on the other side, the DC side when it's out when they're not including anything from you know the real world in the book it does seem awfully artificial so i'm not sure where where the balance is there i mean do you just stay away from those types of stories is that the answer to that you know i i kind of have the feeling that if it if they if they write it well then it's not a bad addition like i didn't mind the political stuff in uh the dark knight too much cuz i thought that was it was timely and it was something to you know ponder but I think if you read it poorly, like Barack Obama just happens to appear in what was it, Spider-Man? You guys said or whatever, a couple, a couple, uh, a couple he's episodes been in ago. Spider-Man. He's been in Captain America. He's and I bet you none yeah. of it was. And I bet you none of it was done well. You know. So I think if they write it well, it'd be okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. I yeah. I, I always kind of liked it when you know the president would show up to pin a medal on the Hulk or something. But, uh, you know, lately it just seems like there's too much Barack Obama in comics these days. I, and He has his own title, Barack the Barbarian. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, there have been so many comics lately that, uh, you know, of course, we, we saw, you know, his appearance in Spider-Man and all that after the inauguration. And then, you know, he's got you're, – you're right. He's got Barack the, the Barbarian, and then you've also got these political power books that came out. In fact, I saw Bill Clinton on the cover of a comic. Uh, I can't remember if it was in previews or if I actually saw that in the store. So enough on politics. Um, Dark X-Men number three. Yeah, I still have to thank Jonathan for pointing this series out to me, even though he quit reading it himself. Um, 
I said pretty much I am sold just by the fact that Nate Gray's in there. I have some issues though. Since they no. brought him back in this title, they keep upping his power. He was insanely powerful before, but now he keeps getting all these powers he never had. He never really saw the future before. He's you know, there's all these little minor things that they've been doing with him here that just I can accept that where he's been since he's has a physical form, maybe he has more powers. But they expect him to have these powers, so it's like they've they're retconning it back in. Right. And then he has to have a conversation with the Sentry about, don't you remember all these good times we had together? Which leaves Sentry, of course, confused and makes him fly away to go think about it. Would Osborne, I love that Osborne says to something there, I didn't give you credit for being that tactical. And he just blows it all away by saying, uh, clever be damned, I just told him the truth. I don't want him to have any connection to Sentry in the past. He came after the Age of Apocalypse. He was around for a short time and he left. Mm-hmm. There's no time when he would have been hanging out with Sentry doing this or that. And it, I just hate the Sentry. I did like how they dealt with Sentry being in the book in that all he had to do was say, uh, you know, you, we fought side by side and that Sentry flies away needing to think about it. But yeah, pet peeve, too many new powers, too much connection with Sentry. But other than that, like, I'm glad to have him back. There's a great fight between him and the Avengers in here, Osborne's Avengers, and a surprise ending. Ooh, a surprise ending. Yeah. It's only issue three of five, so I'm sure they'll work everything out by issue five with it, but a nice little surprise ending. Huh. So uh, you recommend the book? Yeah, I very much recommend this. It's Looking at the the lineup, I wouldn't have thought that I would like Dark X-Men just based on the people that are in there. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I like the characters. The characters just are having good conversations with each other. The dialogue is great. I I like seeing X-Man back again, but even without him in it, I'm liking how Mystique is playing off of Dark Beast and Mimic and don't really care about uh, Omega. But yeah, very good book. I'm enjoying this. Well, who does if you really get down to it? <laughs> was Sentry was on the Isle of Misfit Toys? Just for my own curiosity. You know... I, <laughs> Everyone everyone hates on the Sentry. I don't know why. God, I hate that guy. I love the Sentry <laughs> miniseries. Oh, I, I hated it, that. See, I thought the miniseries was great. I thought I liked how they did it. And then he disappeared and we never had to see him again. And that just... that We do have to see him again. They brought him back. I Boy, I just hate that character. But you know what I'm excited about? Ooh, what's I see that? an advertisement here in Dark X-Men for Planet Hulk. DVD and Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. February yeah. 2nd, 2010. I am awfully excited about that. I've seen some uh, some interviews with some of the folks who are involved with it, and boy, it looks really good. And the last one, though, I really enjoyed Hulk Versus. It wasn't really much of a story. It was just a fight. That's all I was looking for. So I thought the Hulk versus Thor was a lot better than the uh, Hulk versus Wolverine. Yeah. The the best thing about Hulk versus Wolverine... Yeah, I felt the exact Thor. opposite. Yeah, me too. See, I thought the artwork was the the animation was so much better on Hulk versus Thor. Cuz I mean, and don't get me wrong, I didn't care for either story very much. I just thought the animation was so much better on the the Thor story. See, the one thing the Wolverine one had to going for me was I'm not the biggest Deadpool fan, but Deadpool was absolutely great in there. He was, was watching he was it with funny. my wife and even my wife loved Deadpool in that. Yeah, Deadpool was funny in that. So, uh Black Panther number 12 some some hardcore fans uh, may remember my relapse article where I uh, discuss 
uh, picking up Black Panther for the first time. That would have been back in issue seven. Um, and I've really been enjoying this title. I have one major complaint. Like, there's a lot of things going on in this book. Ever since I've been reading, it's been this whole prelude to Doom War thing. Everything, all, everything that they've been setting up comes to a head in, in this book where Wakanda has been taken over by this group called the Disturi who want uh, Wakanda to be uh, an isolationist uh, nation again. And, you know, Dr. Doom's pulling the strings behind the scenes on that group. Uh, so pretty much Dr. Doom now has control of, of Wakanda. Apparently there's going to be this war between the two nations. Why is no one else in the Marvel Universe talking about this? Like, I think that that would be something big. Yeah, I've not seen any reference to that in any of the other books that I'm looking at. That's something that I, I've been complaining about since I got back into comics is that Marvel just does not care about continuity anymore. Mm -hmm. They, One of the great things about – I mean, even though I was only reading X-Men when I was a kid is that I knew what was going on in the rest of the Marvel Universe – because there would be constant mentions to it, you know, like everything that happened, uh, you know, all the big events, they would affect everybody. And you would see that in the, in the, in the books. Um, they, they don't really do that anymore. I would think that, that, uh, that Wakanda being taken over, Storm being put into prison. Um, wow, Storm's in prison? Yeah. I don't read that book. I had no idea. Well, it, I mean, she was it, she was just put into prison this issue. Uh, basically, they you know they the Disturi staged their their coup. Now I uh, haven't seen it in the solicits, but can we expect a uh, Aurora Chained Heat uh, miniseries? You know, lots of shower scenes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I will I wonder, totally put that on my pull list. I wonder if it's because <laughs> they have so many big big stories going on right now at the time. It seems like you've got so you've got uh, the Dark Reign stuff leading into Siege. The X Men are off doing their own thing. Spider Man's got the gauntlet going. It seems like every little subgroup, you know, Hulk has followed Hulk's going. So everyone's doing their own big storyline and their big crossover. And I wonder if that's why we're not seeing any of this intermingle with each other. You know, they're just so so caught up in their own story that they can't throw mentions out here and there. The X-Men can't come deal with Storm being in prison because they're dealing with a couple other issues like Nation X and uh, Necrotia. Yeah, maybe Joe Quesada needs to forward Hulk a copy of Siege. <laughs> maybe that'll help well, solve things? I don't know. I, I, blame, uh, I blame the Matt Fraction mentality. And I point him out because he was the one who, who I heard say this. You know, and, and his basic thing is like, ah, continuity, who cares? You know, just enjoy the story for what it is. Who cares if Wolverine's in every book? You know, things like that. Like, I'm like, that's a bad sort of mentality to have because what's the point of having a universe right. if you're just going to uh, to take crap on continuity? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a stodgy old fanboy. I like my continuity. I don't like reboots. I like original numbering. Um, I like the, the universe that gets billed. Um, and I, it drives me crazy when things don't sync up you know you know that was my biggest issue with the marvel knights stuff they were doing for a while when they did the marvel knights venom series and the marvel knights this and that they seemed to completely throw out everything we'd ever seen of the characters and they created this new interpretation of them 
mm-hmm. you know, the Wolverine they had over there was particularly bad. Blech. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I don't like no, that. Aaron, everything you said about continuity was just exactly what I was thinking. I liked it when they paid attention to stuff like that. Yeah. And I understand it might be yeah. a little bit of a hassle when you get this many titles, but isn't that what an editor-in-chief is supposed to do? That's exactly yeah. right. I mean, the, you you have editors, and, you know, they, they have they have story editors, they have line editors, they have, you know, uh, editor-in-chiefs. I mean, you've got people whose job it is to keep that stuff tight. And what drives me crazy, and you see this, you see this in comics, you see this in science fiction genres like, you know, Star Trek, for instance. You know, there is a, 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 a ton of continuity to keep track of prior to the 2009 reboot. And what you get is you have writers who, like Jonathan says, Matt Fraction says, Matt, who cares? You know, and well, your fans care. <laughs> you know, that's what ticks me off because when, when they don't want to put that energy in, what that means is they don't care about their customer yeah, because the but fans I, do care. I, you know, I can also see the other side of it where they're talking about Captain America Reborn. You know, oops. You know? <laughs> yeah. It just uh, annoys me. Most poorly handled return of any character ever. Ever. Yeah. Well, um, you know, but um, like uh, the the people involved in this book, is it's not just uh, Black Panther you know, the Fantastic Four are involved in this. Namor is involved in this. If if all of a sudden Reed Richards is showing up in, in Siege in Siege books while this is going on, that's going to be very upsetting. Like, I know yeah. he's stretched, but how's he I in s- two places at once? <laughs> I saw that during some of the Secret Invasion stuff, where a couple of characters were in multiple places at a time when Secret Invasion hit. And that bothered me. But even within titles, I don't see the continuity that I want anymore. I miss the days of the drop a clue and then 10, 15 years later you deal with it. How long were, how long were we wondering who the ex trader really is? How long were we wondering who the third summer's brother really was? It took 10, 15 years to get the payoff. And I miss that. We don't really have that now because everything's being written for the trade. Yeah. Well, you know what, Wayne? If Paul was here, we'd be talking about X-Men forever. And uh, there'd be a treat for you there. But I I think we might be saving that for next week, possibly. <laughs> Ooh, a teaser. I'm, I'm laying down those seeds. So, uh, Jonathan, have you been reading Black Panther all along since you got back into comics? Yeah, I, I mean, I've read it from issue 7 to issue 12. And is it something that you gen- that you generally enjoy? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the art is good. Uh, the storytelling is, is really good. I like that there's a new Black Panther I like reading about uh, about basically uh, you know T'Challa's uh, sister is the current Black Panther, and so I, I liked coming in with new character to read because then I didn't have to worry so much about uh, about everything that might have happened in the in the past with the Black Panther. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. See, and I have not read any of this current volume with the new Black Panther. I read all the way up through uh, the wedding, and then for some reason never picked up the new the new series because I really enjoyed the Marvel Knight series and then the regular series that came after that. I've, I've really gotten a kick out of the kind of the reinvisioned Black Panther. Uh, like I said, I, I pointed out Matt Fraction on the whole continuity thing, but I think that that uh, it he was just voicing Marvel's opinion in general. You know, I mean, like, one of the things that he also spoke about in that interview is how all of the Marvel writers do get together and talk about what they're going to do. But what we're seeing is we're not seeing characters in books anymore. We're seeing plot devices. 
like the Fantastic Four are not a uh, not characters. They're they're plot devices. It's like it's like uh, the writer needed, you know, someone smart. So he's like, well, I'll just drop Reed Richards in the book. You know, and I bet you it know? also didn't tell anything that's going on in the Fantastic Four's own title. That used to be what I would enjoy is when a, you'd have a guest host in, you know, have a guest team show up, a guest person, whatever. You would find out a little bit about what's going on in their own title because they touch on what's what's happening for them. Yeah. And I don't see that anymore either. Yeah, not they they don't do that at all in this book. Um or in in, in a lot of the books that that I'm reading. You know, I mean, you know, you, like I said, you can't really look at them as as characters anymore. You know, any anytime you have a guest appearance from a character it's because there's something that he's got that's needed for the story. So that's a plot device. Sometimes you know, it feels like you're playing uh, a card you... game. This is something yeah, like you're playing a card game, and you have a card that is science resource. Reed Richards played on the table. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know, any time uh, Wolverine sells books, so okay, that's a marketing device. Comic book readers, what they read comics for, for the characters, and that's what they want. Yeah, that, that's something that's just been disappointing me in in general. I, I think that that the Marvel Universe is being poorly, poorly mismanaged. And I think that writers are getting too much. You know, screw the writer, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because because I think that's that's part of what's causing the problem is that these writers are like, screw everybody else, my story is what's important. Yeah. And so it's like, I want to use the Fantastic Four. I need them for my story. I don't care what they're doing. They're going to be in this book. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And, and and I agree with you guys. I, I I like the coordination between the titles. You know, where Reed Richards shows up and says, "I can only stay a few minutes because you know I'm working on this thing." That you know, and there'll be a little editor's note. You know, see, you know, Fantastic Four six oh seven. You know, yeah. The only time you see an editor's note now is to apologize because Captain America Reborn you know, <laughs> next issue isn't out yet. Yeah. See, see, w- the perfect opportunity is since Reed Richards is over here in Black Panther is that. You know, it would have been great in Iron Man 22 if he got Doctor Strange as his second option because he's like, I I tried to – I went to get Reed Richards, but he's in Wakanda right now. You know, that's that's the sort of thing that – you know, it's very small, but at the same time, it's just like, yes, you've immersed me into the universe by that that, that just little little thing there. And it cannot be that difficult. Yeah, throw us a bone. Yeah. It's just the will to do it. I think that's all it requires. Well, I read a book that I don't think any of you guys did. Uh, Star Trek Captain's Log uh, Sulu. And this is another in IDW's line of Star Trek titles. And you know, I've really enjoyed the, the books that IDW has put out for their Star Trek line. And you know, Captain Sulu has always been a, a favorite of mine. This was a really good book with some terrific art. But the one thing I want to say is it pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> there is something that occurs on several panels that uh, somebody should have caught. Now, I'm going to go a little Star Trek geek on you here, but Captain Sulu is in command of an Excelsior-class starship. The technical diagram that you will often find on the rear viewer of a uh, of, of the bridge of, of a Starfleet vessel will be the technical layout of the ship they're, they're, they're currently in. It is the... Technical diagram for a Constitution-class ship. It is not the technical diagram of an Excelsior-class ship. Why did I have that there? And it's not one panel, but it's several, and it drove me crazy. 
took me right out of the book. I uh, I went completely Trek geek on it. I, I'm I'm writing a sternly worded letter. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I started bitching about this to my wife, and she left the room. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I rolled my eyes if that helps. <laughs> you know, Aaron, I thought I was being hardcore with my whole continuity thing, but <laughs> I boy, I was just like, God dang it, you know, and I had to go back and look at yeah, they drew an Excelsior class ship, but they don't have the diagram up for an Excelsior class ship. What were they thinking? You know? I did nobody notice that that, you know, there is a a rather substantial difference between the appearance of both of those vessels. It just, ah, <laughs> you would, you would think they would have noticed because that's the audience they're writing to. You would think, but I, I what I think happened was, is there's a, Oh, you know, usually there's something back there. And I think they threw it up and I think they used like, it really does look to me like they use some of the old FASA images, you know? So they, 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 they you know, kind of scanned it in and placed it in the back for that, di- for that technical diagram. Uh, <laughs> Such a new invisible mech. And they just picked a different page. <laughs> Ugh, I, I just I saw that and I'm just like, you have got to be freaking kidding me. See, I think you would hate this Star Trek MMO then because you get the ability once you get out of the tutorial to design your ship, and uh-huh. you can uh, you're given a you're given basically a tier of ships, and there are three classes within that tier, and then you can mix and match the parts. Oh, really? So you kind of design your own vessel? Yeah, I mean it is still. You're limited in what you can design, and it still looks like a Federation vessel. But you could be doing things like putting the, uh, you know, putting the nacelles from one class on the saucer section from another class. So I think that might, I find it really cool, but that might drive someone like you crazy. That you know, it's just all into the technical diagrams of it and the layouts. That's just a sin against God and nature. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. It's limited because I'd be a flying Mac Ten. <laughs> well, okay, I'm done ranting about Star Trek. So now I've got to ask the question: What if we were writing Doctor Strange? Uh, we have uh, talked a lot about how much we enjoy what's going on with Doctor Voodoo, and we talked about one issue of Strange that I think uh, all of us uh, that were on the show at that time disliked intensely. Um, so you know. We don't feel like the good doctor is, is getting the love that, that, that he needs. Um, so how would we write that book? Jonathan, do you have any thoughts? Uh, I do. Uh, and this actually is a, a throwback to uh, when we talked about if we were writing the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, editor's notes, see episode such and such. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't think that Doctor Strange deserves his own ongoing. Really? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for hardcore Doctor Strange fans. Uh, I think that when he was part of the new Avengers, that was the perfect place for him. Uh, I think that, you know, it, the Avengers should be a place for people who aren't big enough to have their own ongoing. I would count Doctor Strange uh, um, among those. That said, if I was approached by Joe Quesada and he's like, I don't care, we need to sell books, write it, damn it. You know, I would have to come up with something. <laughs> um, you know, I'm very interested to see what they do with the 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 black and white strange book that that uh, is going to be coming out here soon. I think uh, the Paul, mystic hands of Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you know, so just the concept of that, I, I think I think I would go with. I, I I think I would have a very pulp style book, uh, black and white, uh, you know, and it, I think I think uh, you would want to if you were starting your an ongoing, you would have to introduce you know someone like Dormammu, Dormammu, whatever. Dormammu. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and if you. You know, once once that was done, I would want to take uh, Doctor Strange into into the area of like fighting Cthulian monsters and and things like that. I think would be really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely, I would definitely just, you know, it would be you would know from first page to last page. This this is a a mystical book. So I disagree with Jonathan about uh, whether Doctor Strange deserves a book or not because I've read his old series and I always loved them and then they always went bad and then they always got canceled. But some of the parts I liked best would be when he would have an apprentice, like he was teaching Cleo or -hmm. something. Yeah. So what I would do, I would start off on, basically I would deal with the fact that he's not the Sorcerer Supreme anymore. So... You know, deal, he's dealing with that. He's a little unsure of himself. I would have him be wandering around dealing with things that come up. He would have, you know, somebody would come to him for training or in the first arc, he'd discover someone with potential and he'd take them under his wings basically to keep them be, you know, keep them from doing something stupid. And from that point on, I would have it be basically a, a voyage of discovery where Dr. Strange is the character that I always like him to be that knows pretty much everything about everything mystical. He's got a new person that he's trying to teach, which is kind of our way into this world. And to be honest, I would rip off Doctor Who like crazy. (laughs) Wondering from place to place, the older guy that has all of this knowledge, the young apprentice, the, yeah, I would take some of those bits of the old stories. uh, Sexual discovery. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when Cleo was around. That's right. So yeah, that's what I would do with it. I like the idea of something kind of like Doctor Who, where he has all of this knowledge. He's going from place to place trying to rediscover himself. Except I would have, like Jonathan was saying, bring back Dormammu, have him in the background, and have him be orchestrating these events that Doctor Strange is dealing with as he travels around with his new apprentice that he's trying to keep from doing something stupid. Okay, I'm going to polish Wayne's answer because he read it off my note card. Um, <laughs> the, be- <laughs> the, the best Doctor Strange I've read in a while was when he was in New Avengers talking to Wiccan in that cafe. Oh, yeah. That's my that's my new Doctor Strange. It's him and Wiccan in this sort of Batman Begins kind of style where he's where he is teaching a new apprentice, where he is the the one explaining everything in the in the in the mystic realms. But if for some reason somebody told me that this guy named Wayne just walked in with that idea three minutes ago and we threw him out on the street, (laughs) I think what I would do is I'd probably do something along the lines of what they used to do um, with Blade and the the Night Stalkers, Mm -hmm. where I'd have a team of maybe him and Wiccan and maybe an old character Sleepwalker and have them kind of... Kind of one of those episodic things where they have to go and 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 take care of a a problem in the 
you know, in the magic realm or something like that. My mind is just blown that you remember Sleepwalker. <laughs> I, I was, love that character, but no one ever seems to know him. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I, I have I have the entire run of the series. Yeah, I, the, I named the arts page. I, I named the letters page. I won that contest. Did and you I really? Signed Sleepwalker. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sleepwalker. And what was the name of the letters page? Sweet Dreams. Nice. Yeah. Look at you. You're all famous and everything. No, I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I have, have have often thought that if I were writing Doctor Strange. You know, I I wouldn't want to do a reboot of the character, but I'd I'd want to take him immediately off in a in a kind of a different direction. This probably goes to my role playing game roots, but I'd love to see him be, uh, you know, off in some magical other alternate dimension or something where he is having to be the magic user in a group of adventurers. You know, and I, and I kind of see some kind of you know six to twelve issue miniseries where they're kind of going through this quest, and he's he's part of a team. You know, uh, and, you know, a team maybe we don't know, or maybe it's maybe it's a team that's populated by other superheroes, but they're, you know, in this otherworldly quest and, you know, having to, you know, kind of negotiate things like you would in a dungeon crawl or, or a D&D campaign or something. But I'd love to see him function as that role as a magic user in that group, kind of like he's been in the pages of New Avengers. I think that's some of the best writing we've seen in a long time for Doctor Strange. And that's that I, I think that's been a lot of fun and I, and I like seeing him in that capacity. Um, to I what, like him in that role in the old Defenders titles too. Yeah. You know, I just didn't like the unteam nature of the Defenders. Defenders was so uneven in its writing. You know, there were some there were some books of that that I just loved, and there were other books I was like, "Yuck, what are they doing here?" You know, I just I just had yeah. this vigil of Scar yelling at Doctor Strange for some DPS. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to, to Wayne's point, I kind of agree that Doctor Strange really isn't strong enough to handle his own ongoing. Uh, and I think it's because it's so hard to write for him. And I'd really kind of like to see him in a regular series of miniseries. You know, when you've got the right writer and the right artist, you do a Doctor Strange story. Uh, and you do, you, you tell that story for however many books it takes to tell that story. It could be a one shot, could be four issues, could be six, could be 12. Uh, that's kind of what I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see, uh, kind of like what you guys were talking about, seeing Doctor Strange tackle some Cthulhu kinds of stories, you know, uh, just kind of doing a bunch of different stuff, stuff we've not seen. And now that he's not the Sorcerer Supreme anymore, it seems like a really good opportunity to tell some stories that you wouldn't have typically seen him involved in. See, I'd like them to do something like they do with the Ultimates, where it's kind of like a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they can bring in different writers, but keep it going and building on each other instead of just be standalone stories. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really like Stephen Strange, and, and that's kind of the thing that's come back to me in the, the you know, with him being on the Avengers. I've really, you know, I've, I've just grooved to him. I really liked his appearance in Invincible Iron Man this week. You know, I, I, I like little glimpses that I'm seeing cannot stand what they did with him in Strange. And that's really, you know, writer and artist that, I, that I'm arguing with, not the character. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about Doctor Strange. So you hear that, Joe Quesada? Call us. These are all better ideas. Uh-huh. Than that's right. Now. We'll work some kind of deal like the Marvel Knights guys did. <laughs> out, of, uh, out of the four of us, who would keep around Wong? Because I know I wouldn't. <clears throat> I don't see any reason to lose Wong, but I certainly wouldn't be opposed to offing him. I think Wong fits better if you've got the whole house and the you're living in the city and you need a servant in the city. Yeah, it, if you're moving him away from the city like I'd like to, I certainly wouldn't keep him in the book. Mm-hmm. It would make no sense for him to be traveling with Doctor Strange. 
I would replace him with a demon. <laughs> he used to have a demon apprentice in his book many years ago. You know, I don't remember the name, but I remember the apprentice. It yeah, was, uh, he was like a big blue guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Just for shock value when somebody knocks on his door in wherever it was, Manhattan or whatever. Grin- the Upper East Side or yeah. Greenwich Village, isn't that where he is? Yeah. I want a big blue demon to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, if I wasn't going to put uh, Doctor Strange on on the Avengers, I think he would. I think he would easily find a home uh, with Agents of Atlas. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah, he'd be a good fit there. I don't think they have a magic dude. Uh, well, they had the goddess lady, but she doesn't really work magic other than make, making people love her. Oh, you're talking about the siren. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about somebody who could actually, uh, you know, be a. Uh, uh, Jimmy Wong's uh, magical advisor, yeah. I guess. Well, and you know that's something else that I'd like to see in the pages of Doctor Strange is is more about the workings of magic. You know, a lot of times he's treated uh, more like a superhero. With you know, uh, I'll just shoot my magic bolt at these guys, versus you know, talking more about the the structure and 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 the work of magic. You know, I'd like it to be more like Dresden Files in that regard. Yeah, I'd like him to come in and be a more complicated situation, not yeah. just a blasting. And of really course. just and really just establish some rules, you know. I would like him to show up over in Punisher, walk up to Frankencastle, take one look, say, What the hell? Okay, I'm just gonna fix this. <laughs> a wizard did it. Well, and we could have him, you know, do that with all the stories that have gone awry. <laughs> just travel from book to book. This is wrong. Yeah, he definitely could do something with Cat Beast. <laughs> if, or Cat Beast could be his big blue demon in his house. One or the other. Mm. Hey, uh, one other bit of news before we end the show. Um, I I cannot remember where I read this this week, but Kitty Pride is coming back. I read that. Where did I, I read that? Yeah. Where did uh, I read that? Oh, S-word. I read it in Newsarama. Okay. Here, I just found it. Matt Fraction talks about the return of Kitty Pride. Yeah, I, I, apparently oh. she's making a big return. Who cares about the return of Kitty Pride? <laughs> there's, there's more important things, and that is this month, the return of Jubilee. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you laugh at me. <laughs> oh. Is she like undead Jubilee? Because that would be awesome. Uh, I, I don't think that while I'm excited about Jubilee's return, I don't think she's going to be nearly as good as as I remember because, uh, you just just by the cover art of her return, I'm just like, wow, she looks much much more Asian than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if she got her powers back at some point because she was in uh, the New Warriors when they relaunched that title, and she was one of the one of the mutants that had been depowered and they were all trying to get different powers in that book. And then that went away and became the new team that they put in. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious what, what they're going to do with, with her when they bring her back. Does she have to pay royalties to Dazzler? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Screw Dazzler as well. You know, for for those for those of us who who started reading in 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 the nineties, Jubilee was my kitty pride. Okay, so, are, are you crushing on Jubilee? Jubilee well, I definitely crushed on Jubilee, but when I was a kid, she, I was like, 
like, wow, she's awesome. You know, plus she was she was like the main character in the in the X Men cartoon at that time. Yeah, like, I have to say, uh, I tend to agree with Jonathan when coming in. Jubilee was like my introduction, like a lot of people's pity pride. It was really the astonishing X Men that won Kitty over for me and got me hunting for her older stories. Yeah, and then she was done well in a couple of the cartoons, and you know. Mostly, though, it was Astonishing X-Men. It was uh, Whedon's writing that yeah. won her over. <laughs> I, I I was sad to see that even Chris Claremont threw uh, Jubilee to the wayside. As, uh, you know, he claims that X-Men Forever picks up right where he left off. But all of a sudden, Kitty Pride's on the team, and Jubilee is not. Nowhere to be found. Like, yeah, what the... What was up with that? When I was reading that, I didn't make it very far into the series because I hated the first story arc. I was left wondering, when did Kitty come in? Because I was reading the book around that time, and she wasn't the main character in the books at that time at all. It was Jubilee. Right. Well, while I'm enjoying X-Men Forever, I think that that whole... uh, No, this is... You know, these are are my notes that I've been doing for for years ever since i left the title i was making notes of what i would do yeah i was um, really going to kill wolverine honest yeah yeah like right away too and uh yeah i i think i think that that's bs but i am enjoying there's too many big changes it's title. a what if title you know what don't hate <laughs> <laughs> you know i here's here's what i think uh i think that that a lot of things in that book are happening very fast. And I think the reason was when he started doing X-Men Forever, he's like, I don't know if I'm getting canceled, so let me put as many ideas into these books as I possibly can. What did you think of that first story arc? Because I know Paul said that he hated the first arc, too. And it was only after the first arc that he really got into the series. I stopped Uh, during the first arc because I hated it. They killed Wolverine. I thought it was awesome. He'll be back. (laughs) I don't know. Well, but... He's been dead. He's been dead now for for fifteen issues. That's, I mean, that is a new record. It's pretty good. It's a new record. Well, and with it being an alternative universe that they're writing in, I mean, it's, it's no harm to keep him dead. And on that note, we'll wrap up the week. Uh, any final words, anybody? Well, um, I just want to uh, to tell people to uh, listen in for Wednesday. For we- oh yes, your uh, your interview this week. Who'd you guys interview this week? Rick Remender, writer of Frankencastle. <laughs> um, it it was it was uh it was good stuff, good stuff. Although I I think that people might be disappointed uh, that he wasn't uh, he wasn't grilled for the Frankencastle stuff. But uh, I will say that the interview will give you a lot of insight into how he could come up with that sort of concept because. That sort of thing, based on his, based on the the work that he's done, seems to be right in his wheelhouse. So you know, it really does. Now that you mention it, it it would fit in perfectly with Fear Agent, just not with Punisher. Well, Jonathan, yeah. thank you, thank you for sitting in for me that uh, last week. I, I wasn't able to to be there for that. So uh, thanks for being available on such short notice. Yeah, sitting in is is right uh, because it. You know, I, I wouldn't want any of my fans to tune in to listen to me because you won't really hear me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I didn't uh, I didn't like I had no questions for him because the Punisher was the only thing I was familiar with uh, that he's done. 
so you know, I talk a little bit, but there are long periods where I was just listening in to the interview. So <laughs> yeah, I wish I could have been available and around for that, but. You guys recorded on the same night that we were recording over at the boot. So yeah. I get home and I see all the messages where you're uh, frantically trying to find someone to uh, to cover for you, Aaron. And it's like, ah, I would have liked to have been on that one. Yeah. But- Priorities, Wayne. Priorities. <laughs> yeah, you tell Dan to stick it in his ear and you come on over. <laughs> <to my books. laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see that would happen yeah all right <laughs> well guys uh we'll catch you next time tim thanks for coming on today i'm glad that we finally got to have that teen titans conversation and uh i'm sure that sometime after never we'll have it again well it was great to be here and uh <laughs> i enjoyed myself all right you guys have a good week you too podcast theme music graciously provided by mark andrew pope for more information visit markandrewpope.com Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>